Well, good morning. What a beautiful morning. I drove down from Wausau this morning, and it was just such a, what a beautiful day to be in the car <laughs> and to uh, listen to a couple podcasts and to use that time. I, as district superintendent, there are about 150 churches that I travel around Wisconsin, and we have one in the UP and one in Iowa, in Dubuque. I don't know how that outlier happened. I, I do know how it happened. Our church in Platteville planted a church in Dubuque. And uh, so uh, as I get a chance to travel around to our churches, I try and uh, redeem the time because they are short and take advantage of time in the car. And so it was just a great time with the Lord as I traveled down this morning. And I've had this date on my calendar and looking forward to being here to worship with you today and to be able to present God's word. By way of introduction, I just want to tell you a story. Um, I was at our national office in Minneapolis, Minnesota, a couple months ago, and uh, Kevin Complin, who's the president of the Evangelical Free Church, uh, said, I got to tell you all a story. And so he was telling us a story about how 100 years ago, there was a missionary from the United States in 1922. Uh, a Scandinavian, his last name was Johnson, of course. <laughs> if, you're, if you're around the free church, there's a lot of Johnsons and Olsons. I'm just a pain. But anyway, um, <laughs> but there was a missionary who went to Congo, West Africa in 1922 to take the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Kevin was telling us, he says, well, to commemorate 100 years God has been at work, and he said, you need to know that the Evangelical Free Church, that God has been using our churches to help support and encourage these churches in Congo, West Africa. And today, there are 1,400 gospel-preaching churches, Evangelical Free Churches, in Congo, West Africa, with, get this, two million Christ followers attending that. And I tell you that because that's part of your story. You're part of that. You have helped to build the body of Christ around the world. And to that I say thank you for being part of God's redemptive plan and God's work. Well, if you'd open your Bibles or your, if you have a phone or an app, and if you're taking notes, uh, there's a piece of paper in there that you can look to. Uh, but on page 977, as was said earlier, this book, Ephesians, was written by Paul uh, to this city in Ephesus. It was written while he was in jail. We read earlier, and we'll read it again, about how he says, I, a prisoner of the Lord. He was in prison when he wrote this letter. Ten years prior, he'd been in Ephesus, and he'd been there uh, about two years prior to that to establish this church in Ephesus. And he had spent several years on his second missionary trip there, and then he writes this letter from prison about ten years thereafter. And it's one of the richest books of the Bible, Ephesians on the subject of the church. You know, unlike many of the other letters that were written in the New Testament to churches, it wasn't written to correct any errors or to address any of the specific problems that other letters were used. <laughs> this book, this letter, was a letter of encouragement. It was to explain to that church in the city of Ephesus, one of the most prominent churches of the time, what the purpose of the church is to be. You need to understand the church of Ephesus was filled with some very real people. 
Listen to what Ephesians 2 says in describing as Paul talked about them. He said, In which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. Isn't it good that he used the word past tense? That we once lived, not that you live now, that you once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. I would propose that if you and I were to live in Ephesus at that time, we wouldn't have felt out of place in the church of Ephesus. They were ordinary people who had recently started to follow Jesus Christ and become part of his church. The first three chapters, if I can give you a quick overview of the whole book of Ephesians, the first three chapters, Paul wants you to know the benefits as a Christ follower that we have as we're seated positionally in Jesus Christ. He says, because of the fact that you've come to know Jesus and you're a follower of Christ, you are seated positionally in the heavens with him. And because of that, there are benefits for that position. (laughs) You have received the forgiveness of sins. So I say to you this morning, if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you are seated in the heavenlies with Christ and you have had your sins forgiven. There's no more condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no more shame. You've been redeemed. You've been purchased by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You've been adopted into a family. You're part of a family, God's family. You've been strengthened with power, Paul says in these first three chapters. And he says you've been saved by God's precious grace. So the first three chapters, he says, you're seated. (laughs) And then in chapters four and five, he says there's a walk that's going to take place. The Christ follower is to walk in light of all the resources that God has provided his children. We're going to hear those words. So after we recognize where we're seated, we don't stay seated. (laughs) We get up and, and we're to walk in obedience. And then in Ephesians 6, the latter part of that chapter, Paul writes as to how the Christ follower needs to stand, stand against the forces of darkness in this world. So those are the three actions of the Christ follower. We're seated positionally in in Christ in Ephesians 1 to 3. Ephesians 4 to 5, our walk as Christ followers in this world. And then in Ephesians 6, the need to stand against the attacks of the enemy. Well, Ephesians 4 is one of the most powerful passages in the Bible after the good news of the gospel. We need to know what God has done for the church through Jesus Christ by his saving her, But we must also know what he saved her for. What is the purpose to which the church exists? This past year, I was able to preach a message entitled Jesus' Mission for the Church from Matthew chapter 28. And that mission is for us to, as we're going, to make disciples of everybody we meet, to become followers of Jesus Christ. This year, and this is... River Hills, this is the first time I'm preaching this message. You're the first ones. So you can be kind or you can be uh, uh, constructive afterwards and say, you know, John, I think you should tweak this a little bit before you preach it next week up north. (laughs) But you're the first ones to get to hear this message about Christ's purpose for the church. After the mission and the commissions, you know, 
the fact that we are moving into the purpose of the church. You know, many years, I believe the primary purpose of the church was to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is part of the mission and the commission of the church, but I believe the primary purpose of the church is found in, here in Ephesians 4, verse 12, which is the purpose of the church is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And I could say amen and we could go home. Now, don't say amen and leave. <laughs> We're going to unpack that a little bit more. But God's purpose for his church, friends, is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Will you pray with me that God would open his word to us this morning? God, give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts that are receptive. Give us mouths that will speak. Give us hands and feet that will be obedient. And God, may Jesus be uh, preeminent in this time that we spend in your word. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to each one of us for the glory of Jesus. And it's in his name we ask these things. Amen. Well, in the first seven verses of chapter four, as we read earlier, Paul says, I therefore a prisoner of the Lord. He was literally in prison for his walk with Christ. He says, I urge you that you walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And he said, as you're doing that, do it with humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. Then verse three, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit, the bond of peace. There's one body, one spirit, just as you were called, to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. We're told that we're to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel that we received. Walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Each one of us has a calling. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, friends, this morning, if there was a time in your life when you recognized that you were a sinner, that your sins separated you from God, and that you in faith turned from your sin, and you turned and repented, and you turned in faith to Jesus Christ, and you believed that he died on the cross for your sin, was buried and rose again, you have a calling. You have a calling. You are precious. You were bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You have tremendous value and worth. Paul goes on to say in verses 11 to 16 that this gift, this calling that we have, that he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds and the teachers for the purpose of equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Then verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children. Notice the difference between mature, <laughs> maturity, and immaturity. Immaturity is like a child being tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, you as mature followers of Jesus are to speak the truth in love, and we are to grow up in every way into him 
who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So friends, the purpose of the church is we're going to unpack this, is that God has saved you for a purpose, to be part of a church family, to grow up into maturity, to learn, because it says we all have been given gifts to serve so that the body can be edified and be built up. Sir, Sir Isaac Newton formulated the laws of motion in 1687. He said, an object that is at rest tends to remain at rest. My wife said that to me as I was watching a little bit of golf yesterday afternoon in my recliner. She goes, there's a law of thermodynamics here. <laughs> You're sitting in that chair watching golf, and I have some plans for you. Well, well, an object in motion tends to remain in motion unless acted upon by an outward force. And that was my wife, the outward force. And I was happy to say, what can I do for you, sweetheart? Well, there are many churches, friends, that are at rest, and they tend to remain at rest. There are also a lot of churches that could well be described as being in motion, and they tend to remain in motion. And we may think of that as a good thing, but it can also... <laughs> just needs to be checked that the motion of the church is in the right direction. And how do we find out the direction that the church is supposed to be moving? The right direction we find is in the word of God. God's word tells us where we're supposed to be going. And when God created the church, he didn't create it as a building to go into. It's beautiful. I, I walked in and I said, where is the sun going to hit me if I sit? So I sat right over there this morning. I just love natural sunlight. And so to sit here in this beautiful building, but friends... This isn't River Hills Church, the building. It's an address. It's in the book, the phone book. But you are the church. You are the body of Christ. You are River Hills Church. God created you to be a family, a community of people who come together to worship God. Enjoyed that this morning. To love and to care for each other. To grow into maturity and to serve one another. Throughout the years, people have confused churches with facilities or buildings. The building, as I said, isn't the church. You, my friends, are the church, and that's God's dream for the church. One of the problems that churches face is that it's easy to confuse what the church is really supposed to be about. This morning, I hope by God's grace to give some clarity to the purpose of why River Hills Church exists. The first, the point, if you're taking some notes, is the church's purpose. You know, in some churches, their purpose could be summed up with these words, biblical knowledge or knowledge of the scriptures. And I think that's a wonderful thing to know the word of God. We're, we're commended over and over to, to, to know the word of God and to have the word of God be in us and working through us. And I know the importance of knowing God's word, and I'm so thankful as a child growing up in a home and in a church that emphasized the importance of memorizing God's word and hiding God's word in my heart. Um, sadly, though, some of the most ungodly people I've ever met have been people who are some of the most knowledgeable people about God's word. Sadly, some of the most carnal people I've met know the scriptures why? Because it's important, but it's not the church's primary purpose. Bible knowledge by itself, friends, is knowledge. 
is, is dangerous, that knowledge. Gene Getz said it this way, Bible study by itself will not produce spirituality. In fact, it will produce carnality if it isn't applied and practiced. It's one thing to know God's word. It's another thing, friends, isn't it, to be obedient and to do what God's word says. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 8, 1, we all possess knowledge, and this knowledge, if we're not careful, puffs up. We become arrogant with our knowledge. But love, on the other hand, builds up. While biblical knowledge is a good thing, it is love that really helps build the church. What this means is that we don't measure success by how much of the Bible we know. If Bible knowledge isn't the primary purpose of the church, what is the purpose of the church? Well, I would say that the primary purpose of the church isn't programs. Some would say it's, it's all the programs that we do. And Eugene Peterson said it this way, one of the dangers of church leadership today is that it's easy to become nothing more than a program director in our churches because we have all these programs. And the church doesn't exist for Bible knowledge. We're going to come back and say how that's an important part of it. And programs are important, but it's not our primary purpose. When they become the goal of the church, then the church simply exists to keep people busy and to keep them happy. <laughs> Consumerism. But God created the church for more than programs and services. Some think that the purpose of the church is attendance, and they measure their success by how many people are in the rows. And the two easiest numbers to count are offerings and attendance. <laughs> and a lot of churches do measure their success according to how many people they come and how many money is collected, but that's not God's biblical measure for success. Attendance isn't the church's primary purpose because many churches haven't been clear on their purpose. It's caused a lot of confusion in the church. In Ephesians 4, Paul's explaining what the leaders of the church are to accomplish and what, what the purpose is. And again, I'll go back to verses 12 and 13. The purpose of the church is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to become mature manhood, to the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ. So if we read this verse carefully, we discover some facts that will completely change how we look at the church. The first thing that we see here is that the church, friends, is the body of Christ. Paul doesn't say it's like the body of Christ. He isn't using a metaphor. He says collectively, we are the body of Christ. We are the physical presence of Jesus Christ on this earth, and we are the physical presence of Jesus in Janesville, Wisconsin, and around, my friends. The purpose of the church is that we will be mature and full-grown in the Lord, measuring up to the full stature of Christ. So the church's primary purpose can be summed up in, in two words. Write these down, two words. Spiritual maturity. That's the goal. That's the purpose. Spiritual maturity. Friends, we're in the process of leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, helping them become fully devoted followers of him. And that's the primary purpose of the church is to do. No matter where people are spiritually, those who may not even know the Bible or anything about Jesus Christ, those who are new followers of Jesus Christ, and those who've been following Christ for much of their lives, our purpose is to equip the saints, no matter where they are in their faith journey, 
for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Friends, that's the purpose of the church, for us to grow up. Paul said it this way in Galatians 4, verse 19. He said, My little children, for, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. That's the purpose of the church, is that Christ be formed in us. The church exists to take people and to lead them into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ until Jesus is fully formed in their lives, that we become full image bearers of Jesus Christ. I love this verse here. Why do all things work together for good, for those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose? Because then he is in the process of making us just like Jesus. That's what good is defined as. Good is you becoming like Jesus. Now, is that the easy part of God's work in our lives? Uh Uh-uh. He uses sandpaper sometimes, right? He uses people we don't even like sometimes in the body, right? And yet, God's purpose for you and his purpose for me is to conform us and to transform us into image bearers of Jesus so that when the when family members look at you, they see a person who looks like Jesus, who's striving, who's efforting to be just like Jesus. That when you look at loved ones that are here in this church family, that you see people who are endeavoring to be like Jesus. I define spiritual maturity another way in this regard. It's when you're squeezed, what comes out? (laughs) When you're sitting in traffic and the person behind you is honking the horn. You know what the definition of a twinkling of an eye is, right? It's the moment that the light turns green from red and the person behind you, their horn honks. That's the twinkling of an eye that Scripture talks about. But friends, what comes out of us when we're squeezed? Are our reactions and our actions defined by a mature follower of Jesus Christ? Because it's, it's easier to walk with the Lord when everything's going well, isn't it? When the kids all look great, when they're behaving and look so nice and listening to mom and dad and you know all of the... But when things aren't going well... <laughs> when the heat gets turned up in your life and your boss is on your back, when your neighbor's trash is in your front yard, when all those things are happening, when you're squeezed, what comes out? Are we being shaped and molded to the image of Jesus Christ so that when we look at each other, we see people who are loving, who are kind, who are at peace, who are patient, who exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. So friends, (laughs) the primary purpose of the church is for us to grow up and to become mature followers of Jesus Christ and then to equip one another so that Jesus receives the glory. Well, a second point this morning is if the purpose is for us to grow up and become mature and to be equipped to serve one another in the body of Christ, then the church's process to accomplish this purpose, what does that process look like? 
If the purpose of the church is life change, spiritual maturity, and the building up of the body of Christ, then we need to look at the process the church is going to use to develop life change. Even if a church is clear on its desired purpose, spiritual maturity, churches often misunderstand the process it requires to become spiritually mature. That's why Paul again said in verse 12 of the text that every believer in the church is to do God's work for the building up of the body of Christ. That's a part that we have in this process. There are a lot of misconceptions about how someone grows spiritually. One of them, again, is the matter of Bible knowledge. As I'm saying and going to say in the last point, Bible knowledge is important, but maturity is demonstrated more by behavior than by beliefs. Would you agree with that? Maturity is demonstrated more by our behavior than what we believe because if what we truly believe is affecting our behavior, then it really is the real deal. If our faith hasn't changed your lifestyle, then your faith isn't working. (laughs) James 2 verse 18 says, Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. So we were saved to equip, be equipped, and to come into maturity to serve one another. Spiritual growth, friends, unfortunately, isn't automatic. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews said this in Hebrews 5, verse 12. By this time, friends, you ought to be teachers. (laughs) Yet you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk and not solid food. The writer of Hebrews was looking at this group of followers and just said, you guys should be more grown up by now. And some people think that spiritual growth is a private matter, that it's just a matter of trying harder through your individual effort. And friends, I would say in this text here that we've read this morning, it's clear that we need relationships within the body of Christ to grow. We need one another. Scriptures teach that spiritual growth is a process that includes three ingredients. Salvation. We come to know Jesus by faith, as I said earlier, in his work, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and our repentance and total faith in his work and belief in that. Then we need community of believers to be around us, plus the disciplines of the faith, which result in spiritual growth. Once we enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit begins to work in our lives in this process, as I said earlier, of making us like Christ. The Bible says that he won't give up on this work. A month ago, I was down in Charlotte, North Carolina, And I had heard this story about Ruth Graham that she said when she was driving through the roads of North Carolina, she saw this sign that said at the end of a construction zone, thanks for your patience, construction finally complete. And she said that was Philippians 1.6. And she wanted that on her stone where she's buried. And so if you go down to Charlotte, North Carolina, to the Billy Graham Library, there it is. Ruth Graham, it says, thanks for your patience, construction finally complete. And friends, that's, that's God, God's desire for our lives is that he who has started this, began this good work in you will bring it to completion the day of Jesus Christ. When the scripture brings an individual in the body of Christ and the Holy Spirit brings us into the body of Christ, we're placed in a community of other Christ followers who will encourage, sharpen, and help hold us accountable. And it's this gradual process 
It's not a matter of technique. It's a matter of obedience over time that we become like Jesus. 1 Timothy 4 verse 7 says this, Have nothing to do with the irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. The process the church goes about accomplishing its purpose is this. People are introduced to Jesus Christ through faith. They're encouraged to be in community with other Christ followers so that they can learn the spiritual disciplines, resulting in spiritual maturity, being equipped to serve one another within the body of Christ. What a beautiful picture this is that God desires for each one of us who know him. The result is that we will see lives changed as we become more and more like Jesus Christ. So he's given us the purpose of the church, the process to accomplish this purpose. Now here are some measurements for accomplishing this purpose. The church is how we measure for accomplishing this purpose. The measure for success in a church is evidenced in the lives of the people who are part of that church. Verses 14 and 15 say, so that we are no longer children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. From this, these verses, we see some measurements for the purpose of the church if we're, we're accomplishing this purposes of growing up and becoming equipped to serve one another. The first one is stability. <laughs> the measure of the church accomplishing God's purposes are stability. When spiritual growth takes place, people aren't easily misled. There's this stability. We look at God's word and we hear something and we become good Bereans. The Bereans were ones in church, uh, in the early church, who when they heard something said, wait a minute, does that square up what the word of God says? And we need to be good Bereans who speak the truth in love, but we need to take things through the filter of God's word and so that we're, there's a stability. One of Satan's falsehood is that in Ephesians 4 verse 14 says that we won't any longer be tossed to and fro and carried by, the, by human coming, by the craftiness and deceitful schemes. And the enemy, my friend, tries to see people to believe things that are not true. Spiritual maturity results in stability in the ability to be able to know the truth about life through the context of God's word. Another mark of or measure of whether or not we're growing in Christ and becoming mature is what we do with truth. Verse 15 says, speaking the truth. In the Bible, truth just isn't something that you believe, it's something that we live. And when you become spiritual, when, when we're in the process of becoming like Christ and spiritually mature, we just don't believe the Bible, we'll live the Bible because we know it's true. So another measure, not just um, stability and truth, is love. Verse 15 says, we speak the truth, but how do we speak the truth? We speak the truth in love. There are those who speak the truth, but do so in a harsh, condemning manner. Spiritual maturity, my friends, reflects itself in loving relationships. And another way in which we do this is by the manner in which we speak the truth of God's word. Another measurement is that as we are about this purpose, we become like Jesus. We become like Jesus. 
verses 15 and 16 says, so that we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. We're, we're growing up, we're becoming like Jesus, from whom the whole body that is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when every part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So Christ desires, as the ultimate mark of spiritual maturity, is that we become like his son Jesus. Unfortunately, organizations and people have a tendency to drift away from the main purpose. The purpose of the church, friends, is life transformation, spiritual maturity for the building up of the body of Christ. When God created the church, he didn't create it as a building to go into. He created it as a community to belong to. And the purpose of the church, friends, is to lead people, no matter where they are spiritually, into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, to become fully devoted followers of him until we all look just like him. And that's my prayer for River Hills that you guys are growing into spiritual maturity in a loving community that serves one another and serves this community well. And you're doing that. I commend you and I also encourage you to continue to grow in Christ-likeness, to be fully, devote, fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ who bear his image and that you're equipping one another to serve one another and that Jesus is then glorified because he sees what's happening here at River Hills in the lives of his people. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word today. I thank you for your desire for us to grow in maturity in Christ-likeness. I pray, Father, that you would help us to not just be hearers of the word, but be doers of what it says. I pray for this community of Christ followers, that they would grow in equipping of each other to fulfill the purposes that you have for them till we reach a maturity and till we become more like your, your son, Jesus. To his glory, to his praise, we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.